Hello, and welcome to The Future is Sound, a partnership in hearing podcast brought to you by Oticon Canada. I'm your host, Becca Angel, and thanks for joining me on my first podcast journey where we will chat broadly about all things hearing. We will launch fun new episodes every month, and if you have any suggestions or comments, be sure to get in touch. Okay, let's get started. Uh, Hi, everyone. My guest today on our first episode of the podcast is Olivia Mariano, also known to me as Liv. And she is a speech language pathologist currently working at the Down Syndrome Research Foundation in British Columbia. Her master's research focused on applying theater techniques to, to develop social skills in individuals with social pragmatic difficulties. Uh, She's also very passionate about working with children, teens, and adults with developmental disabilities, and has a strong focus on family-centered care and applying evidence-based practice. So uh, without further ado, welcome Liv. Thank you for being here. Becca. Thanks for having me. (laughs) You're welcome. You're the first, the very first guest on the podcast, so lots of uh, no pressure, no pressure attached. Yeah, just a little. (laughs) Anyway, I love hanging out with you and getting to chat with you. So thanks so much for being here and was immediately drawn to your energy when we met at UBC all those years ago. And yeah, still, I learn a lot from you and I'm still continuing to learn from you all these years later. So I wanted to sort of have you on the podcast so we could talk a little bit about your experience uh, growing up in a family with uh, brothers and sisters that had disabilities and how you sort of um, use your master's research with theater into your current uh, job. So we'll sort of unpack all of that information in the next like 20 minutes. What most people don't know about you is that you have two brothers with congenital hearing loss, and that is genetic. And you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but it's you may or may not be a carrier of the gene that causes the hearing loss. Correct. Yes. There's, I'm told that there's a 50% chance that I'm a carrier um, of this gene in my family. Um, I wish I could be more specific than that, <laughs> um, but I can't. I, we actually don't know like what gene causes it. We know that it's through the X chromosome, but that's as far as my family has ever kind of explored it. It's not really anything that we've like looked into, to be honest, if I had to guess, like, I would think that it's just kind of one of those things that's been like accepted in my family and like, no one's really had like the desire to kind of look into it more. So yeah. Yeah. Well, someone listening might know what the gene is, but totally. Yeah. Obviously it doesn't, (laughs) obviously it doesn't matter. And it only runs in males. Is that correct? Yeah. So if, it's expressed as hearing loss in males when they're born, um, but in females, they're the carriers. So if I had a boy, there's a possibility that he'd have um, yeah, severe to profound hearing loss. Um, but if I had a girl, there's a possibility that she's a carrier of the gene and will pass it on. So yeah, it's one that like, yeah, has been through my family for generations and generations. Like right, okay, so both, yeah. yeah, I was gonna ask if both, <laughs> both your grandparents have hearing loss. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And they're both capital D deaf. Okay. And where, where are your brothers like in relation of age to you? Like, what was that kind of yeah. discovering that they had hearing loss like for your mom and for you? Totally. Yeah. 
So yeah, I grew up in like a big Italian family. I have two older sisters and two younger brothers. So my two younger brothers are both deaf and I'm smack dab in the middle of my siblings. Um, So I was that like annoying middle child growing up (laughs) (laughs) that, yeah, would kind of, you know, everyone has like a middle child that they know. So I grew up um, around deaf culture, deaf, um, you know, the community and yeah, my grandparents are both deaf. My brothers are deaf um, and one is on the spectrum. So it was really like a fun kind of upbringing. Um, my mom grew up like teaching us American Sign Language. Um, she's a CODA, so a child of deaf adults. Um, so she grew up signing. That was her like first language um, until she Ooh. went into school. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty like it's a unique experience. And Especially years ago. I mean, I, f- I don't know if it's if it's changed now, but I feel like it has. And yeah, for your mom growing up all those yeah. years ago with deaf parents, oh, a totally different experience yeah. than today. Totally. And it's like, it's interesting. Like it's one of those things where I feel like, yeah, you don't know your family like has this unique thing. Cause that's just like all, you know, kind of growing up. Mm-hmm. And she has like funny stories where she like goes to friends' houses and learns. Yeah. Just like how her family's different. Like our family to get people's attention. Like we flicker lights and like some people (laughs) don't do that. (laughs) Or like I put notes under my brother's doors to get their attention. Like other families don't do that. So you just kind of learn, you know, as like you grow up and yeah, you're exposed to different people and different families. Um, Yeah. What makes yours unique. And both of your brothers do wear hearing aids. So they were fit with hearing aids and also signed. Yeah. So they're, yeah, they wear hearing aids. Yeah. They sign, they lip read and like their primary um, language is English. So they did go to like a mainstream school. Their hearing aids are from Otakon. Funny enough. Yeah. I wasn't paid to say <laughs> that they are. <laughs> they are. That's good. Um, okay, cool. So let's move into talking about your sisters. Um, sure. And I, I've met you when we were at UBC. And I know that your sister Navia passed away just very close to when we started school. So that was obviously a super challenging time, but I love hearing all your stories about Navia and you always have like these amazing posts. And, um, I feel like you've learned a lot from her and going through all that grief and everything. So let's talk a little bit about Navia and like how she sort of shaped who you are today as like a speech therapist and in general. Totally. Thanks so much, Beck. Cause I, yeah, I love, I love talking about her. So um, thanks for letting me, yeah. Giving me the opportunity to do so. Yeah. So I always kind of grew up like around people who communicate in different ways, you know, and growing up uh, with the, yeah, growing up signing. And then my sister Navia um, was someone who was born with cerebral palsy. So for those of you listening who don't know, um, cerebral palsy is a motor disability that affects things like balance and tone, coordination. I might, I know when I was younger, it was the most common motor disability in childhood. I don't know if that's still the case. I would assume so, but I know it can affect things like, yeah, walking and talking. Um, So my sister used a wheelchair to get around and she was non-speaking. So she communicated, yeah, different ways, like using vocalizations and eye gaze. 
she had an augmentative and alternative communication system. So she used like a computer to communicate. And yeah, like you said, she uh, sadly passed away eight years ago. Um, yeah, right when I entered grad school, which was a really tough time, because um, she was really like the sole reason why like I got into this career. And yeah, so losing like such a like a incredible person and someone like so close to me was um yeah it was a very very hard transition but um moving away from home starting a crazy program just yeah (laughs) life (laughs) times things perfectly yeah um and so I assume that she would have had like a big team of people to kind of work with as well so you sort of got introduced to different jobs that you could have and helping people that have disabilities Yeah, like I, um, yeah, I feel like there's different ways, you know, you kind of figure out like what you want to do in life. And some people like read about it or know someone who does that job. And like, I got the privilege of kind of like seeing it through the lens of like, yeah, like I'd attend all of her speech therapy sessions, um, all of her OT sessions, her PT sessions. So I got really like exposed to, yeah, just like her team and Um, that was like the norm growing up. Like it was always like, yep, going to therapy like (laughs) this day. And (laughs) I go with them all the time. Um, and yeah, so that was, I mean, it's nice that you always went totally and participated. Like looking back, I was like, I was probably that annoying human that was like (laughs) in the corner trying to take all her turns or like all the pieces, (laughs) but um, you weren't, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. So she, yeah, she was an incredible person who like had the best sense of humor and like, it was really cool to kind of like grow up with that kind of piece and then come to realize like I wanted to, yeah, go into that field. I think like my main reason for, um, yeah, being interested in, uh, this field is that like, I loved growing up with someone who, like couldn't speak and communicated in different ways. I feel like a lot of people kind of unfortunately like underestimated her because she couldn't speak or didn't take the time to kind of get to know her or how she communicated or maybe felt like intimidated um, by how she communicated. So, and didn't know like how to approach her. So um, I just like admired her ability to always like connect with other people. you know, and like reveal her like competence and her personality coming out. And like, she would go to doctor's appointments and call the doctor sexy. And it's like, (laughs) I loved her confidence and her ability to like make people laugh and yeah, just express herself. Like I was had a big, a big personality and yet a big person was nonverbal. And totally. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't really give that person a chance to express themselves in the way that they can, then you don't really get to know them at all. Yeah. It it truly gave me like an appreciation for like the ways, the different ways people communicate and like the importance of having access to communication. Yeah. As it is just like a fundamental human right in order to like, yeah, like get your, have a voice in this world and Mm-hmm. Well, I remember like meeting, meeting you, um, we were both trying to find a place to live in Vancouver and we were like, yeah, so like, what'd you, 
get into the program. I remember just like hearing your story and I was like, this makes so much sense. And I'm like, well, actually, yeah, my brother's an ENT and uh, <laughs> I didn't really know what I was going to do. We and, all like, have our journey. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember hearing that story like stuck with me and it's just, yeah, it's cool to see where you've taken it. So you grew up with your family that had like, you know, different disabilities and how, how was that news given to your mom, if you know, and how you guys sort of talk about disability in, in your family? Yeah. I love my mom so much um, because she, she celebrated kind of like our unique yeah, differences. And she was so open to talking about it growing up, but I know she wasn't always like that. Like she went through, my brothers were different because she's always kind of been exposed to deaf cultures. So when she actually was told that my brothers were deaf, she said that the audiologist like apologized and said like, yeah, like, I'm so sorry. They have profound hearing loss. And she was like, great. Like, (laughs) it's fine. Like she, yeah, she was like, you have nothing to apologize for. Like, this is yeah. Fabulous. Like they're going to be. Yeah. Cause I remember you saying like your grandparents were like thrilled. So happy. Right. Yeah. Like they're like, yay. Like another, yeah. Like someone in our family member that communicates or hears like I do and like, um, is like me. So yeah, it was never like, that wasn't ever sad. I know when my mom found out about, um, my sisters having yeah cerebral palsy, the news was given to her very, like she described it as it was like coming down with like a hammer and they talked about, it was very much through a medical lens where they talked about deficits. Yeah. Apologized, said all this like negative stuff, what she can't do. She'll never be able to do this. So I know she went through a period of time of just like feeling, yeah. Like grieving what she thought her Mm -hmm. life was going to be like. Well, it's almost like you have, a person and it's like here's a barrier here's a barrier like here's a problem 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 and it's like all these things like pointing at the person um totally oh and it's so negative like yeah imagine just like you're having yeah like you know a baby for the first time or you're learning about yourself and like everyone around you that you're talking about in the medical community is just like saying negative things like of course you would feel scared yeah. and like anxious and she said all of that went away the moment she met her um yeah she was just like oh this isn't scary (laughs) like this is my baby and like it's yeah like how could you I think it's just built up and sadly like I think a lot of the times in yeah medical professionals like disabilities look through like at a medical lens and a very deficit lens and not so much like a strength-based or yeah, it comes from a good place. And thankfully, like, yeah, so I grew up, like my mom was like so open about talking about differences and disabilities. Um, yeah, she was so open about, you know, like how we all learned and, and talked about it with us, which I think really like empowered us. And like, she would like celebrate, you know, like, yeah, World Cerebral Palsy Day, like those kind of things, which just like, yeah, it, I grew up, I feel like, having a good I felt more confident and I felt very comfortable around people with differences and I think it even set the stage for when I was diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD 
I didn't have negative feelings towards it. Like I was just kind of like, oh, okay, like this is how I learn now. Um, I know more about myself, but I know like other people had negative ideas about it. Mm-hmm. Like I know like one of my friends was like, oh, I thought like you got scholarships and you were smart. And I'm like, well, it's because I am. <laughs> I just learned differently than yeah. you. Like I just have different. a hard time gaining information from yeah written text I do better auditory or it takes me longer than you to do certain tasks but like that's fine and yeah even like looking back on like reflecting on like when I was diagnosed like the the doctor who sat me down and kind of went through like yeah the tests and the reports it was all about like lowest percentile and like did the the worst in this basically is what I took away from that and like talked about how like yeah, I won't be able to do this. And, and that was just, I left that meeting. And that was the first time in my life that I actually felt like ashamed of myself. Like mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, like I, yeah, I, I felt like I couldn't do it. And like, I felt really overwhelmed. And then um, I had an appointment with, it was a learning strategist <laughs> um, who was someone at the university who helps students with learning disabilities. And she sat me down and she introduced me to other people with learning disabilities. She hooked me up with, yeah, resources. She talked about my learning style and was like, this is how you learn. These are, you know, things you can do to help yourself. These are ways you can advocate for yourself. And it totally like reshaped like that conversation. I left just feeling like so empowered and like I remember thinking like, there's nothing wrong with me. It's like society that can't like make accommodations yeah, and hasn't figured it out. Yeah. I mean, we live in a ableist society. Totally. So yeah, it's, it's one thing to need certain norms for things, obviously. And we're both like, you know, have a scientific brain. So it'll, you know, there, there is a need for that, but it's also not everything. So it's really important that we don't always focus on numbers and negative yeah. things and, and barriers that are going to be in the way and, and sort of put on a different lens and think about possibilities totally. and yeah. how, uh, what you can do with this Absolutely. knowledge that you now have about yourself. Yeah. Cause I think like healthcare professionals like have such a power when they're like, we can totally reframe like what disability is and it doesn't have to, it's not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. And I work with a lot of families who get diagnoses of yeah, hearing loss or down syndrome, autism, like all these things. And 99% of the time, like they're telling me like whoever's delivering the information is yeah. Framing it from a deficit base and they're apologizing. And like, I just think we need to approach it as like, like I had one mom who said that she never once heard congratulations when, yeah, she was pregnant with her baby, not once. Everyone was just apologizing when she found out, yeah, she was going to have a baby with Down syndrome. And I'm just like, like, you know, you're, yeah, like you're going up against a system that's very ableist when we as healthcare professionals, I think, have such a power to set a tone and talk about, you know, when we're giving information to families or to yeah like our clients we can totally like it needs to go towards a strength-based model going further and like I think yeah we just have such power to like influence and promote someone's like 
positive self-identity as someone with a disability. So I think, yeah, like just listening, like, for example, like a lot of the times, like a lot of the times people will talk about the students I work with as having like restricted interests, but I'm like, no, they are experts in this topic. Like they know so like you show me another student who can name like you know every Will Smith movie (laughs) the year it came out and all that kind of stuff like or you know they'll say like doesn't make eye contact and like another way you could say like prefers to look away when people talk to them like Mm -hmm. it's I think when you frame things in yeah like a strength space you're acknowledging that person's yeah how they learn and allowing them to feel empowered and like just positive about themselves. Like they, they, you should never make someone feel shameful for just like who they are. Yeah. 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 I love that. Thanks. (laughs) It's really nice. (laughs) Which is a good segue into your um, sort of current role with the Down Syndrome Research Foundation, which is in Burnaby in BC. So how long have you been with them and like what what is your role there? Yeah, I work at the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation. So we see people with Down Syndrome throughout their lifespan, which is pretty unique. Um, so for example, like the youngest on my caseload right now is like a one and a half year old. And then um, I had work with adults as well, like in their 30s and 40s. So like that's pretty fun. I've been there about three and a half years now and it's like absolutely flown by. Yeah. Um, time goes so fast. So fast. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're having lots of fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I work with people, yeah, one-on-one in therapy, but then also I run groups as well, like a lot of the social groups and a program called Let's Interact, which is a theater yeah. and improv program. You sort of taken your, your master's research and your love for theater, like growing up, which we haven't really touched on, but you were big into improv and yeah. have sort of combined those two to create this, pro- I'm calling it a project. I know it's not probably the right word for that, but you sort of created this group through working at um, DSRF and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's so cool. So let's tell everyone what, what Let's Interact is. and. Um, Sure. My pleasure. So yeah, Let's Interact is an integrated program where um, people with Down syndrome and without Down syndrome improvise together. So we come together and we share, we explore, we jam. (laughs) Um, We do all these, yeah, fun theater exercises and we improvise and um, yeah, create like scenes and make each other laugh. It all kind of came out, yeah, from my my research. So um, I've always kind of been like a theater nerd and into improv. And what kind of actually like sparked my interest in the research side of it is um, I started to run these improv camps through a a government program called Community Living, which is like support for adults with developmental disabilities. What I was kind of noticing was as my, my sister was getting older and older, I noticed fewer and fewer opportunities for her. So a lot of the times, like there's tons of support, you know, when you're school age and 
um, as you kind of graduate high school and transition into adulthood, there's lots less structure. Yeah. Um, there's less support. So yeah, there wasn't a lot available to her at the time. So I was like, well, like she loves theater and improv and she has friends that like it. So um, yeah, I got a bunch of friends together and we started doing these improv camps. And then I started kind of noticing like this really magical kind of like transition in people who would participate in the program. Like their families would come watch them at the end and be like, who is that like confident person on stage who's like, you know, speaking in front of people or like, I couldn't imagine them doing that. So yeah, the feedback was really positive. I saw so much growth in the participants that I was like, there's something to this. And so I kind of took that and looked into, yeah, like how can I use this as like an alternative therapy tool? Yeah. Cause it works on, you know, like improv is like interacting with others It relies on um, no script. It relies on, you know, reading social cues, responding, kind of that like give and take relationship. So yeah, I have lots of fun doing it. And I feel like everyone in their life at some point should do an improv class because I think, feel like it's, it's life-changing and yeah. you walk away from it, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly kind of like reinforcing and I think can become like a really good tool just to become like better listeners and well yeah it's cool it's like you get to kind of be someone else and yourself like I used to be in like act in plays and stuff growing up and that's not improv but you would sort of like become this character and you're fully immersed in it so it's like you're not really thinking about anything else so yeah it's like totally is like a form of therapy um how how does it kind of work it's like Cause I know there's this thing about yes. And, and there's like <laughs> yep, a really good analogy all. there for like what last time we spoke, you had this like really good analogy for like, yes. And with, in terms of improv and how that works. Yeah. So there's like some golden rules in improv um, that I feel like are really transferable to everyday life. The number one golden rule is yeah. To say yes. And to your teammates. Um, meaning that you are accepting what they're saying and then you're building off of that. Um, So I just feel like, yeah, it's a good kind of life tool because like it's made me kind of be more like collaborative to others and like be more respectful of other people's ideas or perspectives and kind of like meeting them where they're at and then like building on there instead of, you know, like pushing my own agenda or, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Or shutting down ideas. Like, I feel like if people, if you are more willing to work with others, they're more willing to work with you. So kind of that, like, yeah, yes. And mentality, I feel kind like of like of- the opposite of no, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, no, no, let's do something else. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. So we, yeah, we talk a lot about, like, I think there's just a lot of like cool rules. Like we always say, like, there's no mistakes. Like, you can say anything and you just feel accepted, which yeah, like makes everyone feel like they're supported and it's like a safe space. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot there to it. That's really magical. I would imagine everyone participating, like really looks forward to it. So how often are you guys doing let's interact? Yeah, we jam weekly. So, um, yeah, and it's the same people that come. So we do like, yeah, these little blocks of, um, yeah, we get like our own troop. We'll create our own name. 
And then, yeah, so that way it builds kind of consistency and we get really like close as a group and kind mm-hmm. of build that, we call it a group mind, <laughs> um, <laughs> all these terms. Um, yeah. But yeah, we, we work together and it's really cool to see just how like we all kind of fit as one. Um, and yeah, every week we come and we jam for 90 minutes, leave it all yeah on the stage. And then at the very end, the improvisers get a chance to invite their family and friends to come watch. So that's always like really fun to, to showcase kind of. What yeah, they can on. sort of see how far they've come and how much it's helping. That's so cool. Totally. Yeah. It's been, it is the highlight of my week for sure. <laughs> so it would have been last night. Correct. <laughs> Do you have a funny story that you can share from last night? So first of all, I should make a disclaimer that I feel like improv isn't the same as stand-up comedy where you can tell a joke or what happened and it's yeah, you same. have like you almost you have, have to, to be, be there. there. Yeah. You do. Maybe like a I lesson, wanna... maybe like a lesson learned or something <laughs> from last night. Totally. One of this imp- this improviser in particular, he's so punny. Like he the way his mind works and how fast he is, he's so funny. And one person was pretending to be a book, but she was doing it at her face. And he was like, oh, look, she's on Facebook, everybody. <laughs> and I was great. like, I would have never come up with that. Yeah. Like, They're so talented and so funny. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Everyone that comes out, I like admire them so much and just their confidence too. Like, so yeah. cool. That's awesome. (laughs) I also sort of just wanted to chat about like, you have so much experience growing up with, you know, people with various disabilities and like, how can we advocate more for people with disabilities and, you know, what language can we try to use and avoid? Cause I know there's sometimes like this fear around saying the wrong thing or like even using the word disability and, um, how can we do better? in this sort of space yeah I mean yeah I can only speak from like my experience my perspective but I think one thing that is important I think to acknowledge is that everyone's individual experience with disability is unique and I think recognizing their individuality and how they identify is really important you know whenever I have a student observing me they'll always make a comment about how like each student is so different. And I always say like, yeah, if you've met one person with Down syndrome, you've met one person with Down syndrome. Like every single person is unique. And I think as healthcare professionals, when we're getting our education, there's a lot of kind of generalizations made like in education. Oh, like this group, you know, of people is like this, but I think we need to remember that like everyone is different and you know, everyone's perspective, life experience, how they communicate. Yeah. Like you mentioned like, yeah, right or wrong. And like, I think like an example, for instance, that we learned in grad school was um, like, we were always taught like person first language um, is like the etiquette, but you know, you go out in the community and you talk to people with disabilities and there's a lot of people that identify um, or would prefer, I should say, um, identity first language. So Um, For example, like someone who is autistic might want to say like, yeah, I'm autistic instead of I'm a person with autism. Um, And even myself, like our family will say like, you know, my deaf brothers or my deaf family. That's how we identify because it's a part of our 
yeah, identity and our culture, even myself, like I, I'm dyslexic (laughs) and I'll say like, oh, like dyslexic SLP brain, like that kind of thing. So I think just like listening to the people and the community, the individual that you're serving, um, there's lots of reasons why people prefer, you know, how they want to be addressed or the language they use. So I think just like honoring whatever their choice is. Yeah. Asking the question. Totally. And it's, so it shows like you respect, you know, their, you, you want to do right by them. And like, yeah, it shows that like you care. So I think, yeah, like, don't be afraid to ask, but yeah, like language matters. And I think like should be valued whenever working with anyone. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. We definitely still have a long way to go, but I think like if, if anything, like this past year, it's taught me like we have to do a lot of like unlearning and a lot of like listening to our clients, the people we work with, because even though we're like healthcare professionals and maybe the like quote unquote experts, like those people we work with are the experts in their own lives and their own disability. And sadly, a lot of times they're not included in decisions made about them. Um, you know, so just kind of, I think moving forward, like, like I've been guilty of it too, where like, I've not included a student in, you know, like decision-making with the goals that we're working on, or I write a report and like, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on this, like, is the information that I'm sharing accessible to that student? Like it, you know, do I need to add visuals to it? Do I need to use different language? So I think if we connect continue towards like the goal is always like yeah like inclusion and amplifying those voices and I think eventually like yeah we'll hopefully get there but it's yeah. gonna take a lot of time, take a long time. Take... lots of unlearning lots of relearning yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm. I think as long as we know that we can always do better then eventually we'll get there definitely yeah and I can send you some really great like yeah yeah, well, I was, yeah, so I was going to say, send me some links and we can link them at the bottom so people can check them out. And I know you have lots of good like um, social media pages too. So you can send those and we can include a link for that as well. Yeah, I would love to. Cool. Well, thank you. For letting me share. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on and chatting for a little while. And um, it's really nice to see you. Likewise. Thanks, Beth. Okay. You're welcome. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, or leave us a review. You can also register for our Partnership and Hearing community website using the link in the description below.